so much to me if I could hear my mother pray again. She used to pray that I on Jesus would rely and always walk the shining gospel way. So trusting still his love, I seek that home above where mother where I shall meet my mother some sweet day. If I could hear my mother pray again, if I could hear her tender voice as then, so glad I'd be, t'would mean so much to me, if I could hear my mother Pray again Within the old home place Her patient smiling face Was always spreading comfort, joy, and cheer And when she used to sing To her eternal king It was the song the angels loved to hear if I could hear my mother pray again, if I could hear her tender voice as then, so glad I'd be, t'would mean so much to me, if I could hear my mother pray again. How work on earth is done, Life so has been won, and she will be in heaven up above. And some glad morning she, I know, will welcome me to that eternal home of peace and love. Amen. If I could hear my mother pray again, if I could hear her tender voices then, so glad I'd be, t'would mean so much to me, if I could hear my mother pray again. Amen, brother. Thank you, David. Thank you. All right, folks, Luke chapter 1. We're going to look down at verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. If you have your place there, please say amen. That sounds good, church. If you're able to stand, why don't we stand together? One, you can stretch your leg, get some blood circulating and flowing down there. Hopefully your legs ain't falling asleep yet. But also, more importantly, we're standing in reverence to the Word of God. And if you can't get up, you can stand in your heart. That's fine. But if you will, be so kind. Read with me out of your sword. The Bible says, Luke 1, 38, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious and holy word. We thank you, Lord, all of us here have been so thankful for godly mothers. And Lord, many of us have had godly mamas. And Lord, I just ask that if you'd be so kind, Lord, why don't you uh, holler at mama over there and tell her that her son misses her and loves her and I'll see her one of these days on that glad reunion day when we all get reunited together on heaven's shore. But Father, we are thankful for this precious, special day. So Lord, I ask that you'll go with us now. Move me out of the way and you just get in the way. May I decrease and you increase, Father, and speak now to our hearts as only you can, that when we leave this place of worship today, we'll be glad when they said unto us, let's go to the house of the Lord. Have your will and your way be done now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
You can't help but love children. They might get on your nerves. They might do this, that, or the third, but out of the mouth of babes, you hear it. Six-year-old Johnny and his four-year-old sister Susie presented their mama with a Mother's Day present, a small, spindly, kind of dying house plant. Now, it wasn't the finest plant out there available, but they had done their chores for months and months and deprived themselves of all the little toys and all the little candies that they could have bought with their chore money, and they saved it, and their dad took them out to buy their mama a Mother's Day gift. How precious. She hugged and kissed her children and told them that she loved them for thinking of her. Well, Johnny spoke up. There were some other flowers we wanted to buy for you, Mama, but we didn't have enough money. Yeah, said Sister Susie. They had a real nice bunch of flowers at the shop that we were going to buy. But I love this plant, said the happy Mama. But I know, Mama, said Johnny, but these flowers would have been perfect for you. They were in a big old wreath and they had a big fancy ribbon at the bottom that said, Rest in Peace. Now the mama just kind of looked at her kid and she said, Why would you want to buy me that? He said, Well, mama, you're always asking for a little piece so you can rest. (laughs) As we'd say, bless their heart. Well, you and I know, just like we hear on Father's Day, just because somebody would sire a child, don't make them a father, a, a dad, a real, a real dad. And in the same way, giving birth just does not merely make a woman a mama. It's, it takes a special woman to be a mama. A mother is a person who is willing to take the responsibility of investing her life into another human being who is totally dependent upon her to do so. In other words, being a real, bona fide, genuine mama means you have to sacrifice you and give totally to them, to your children, and many times to others. You know, I remember Mama telling me years ago that she got mad at God because her and Daddy had tried. Let's see, y'all married in 72, right? March 19th. That's a few years before I was born. But they tried. They tried to have children. And Mama told me she had four miscarriages before me. And then I was, I was in the oven for a while, and I decided it was time to come out too early. I hadn't got done baking, evidently. You know, it's like, I guess, Bill Cosby said upon his son's arrival. He said, the thing looks deformed. I don't think it's done yet. Can you put it back in for a little while longer? And the doc said, it don't work that way, sir. But I came too early. I, my mama's water broke, and... Uh, Daddy rushed her to the hospital down in Shelby, and I was born two and a half months premature. But right before my birth, somewhere about there, Mama found out she didn't have one, she had two in there. I was a twin, and my brother uh, was stillborn. And after Mama died, I found out from a long birth certificate, and I, I don't know where it went, I wish I could find it, it said up at the top, it said about me, it said, resuscitated several times. I knew I had pretty, a pretty rough entrance, but I didn't realize I had died, and then they brought me back and died again, and they brought me back, and I died again, and they brought me back. I didn't realize that part. So after I learned that, I said, well, if I've already died before, I said, oh, well, what's to be scared of? You know, I did it once, might as well, you know, do it again one of these days. But... I remember Mama telling me that she felt the Lord telling her that she could not become a mama until she learned how to be a wife. And God kept impressing upon her heart and mind, submit, submit. 
She said one day she got so mad at God, she reared up and she pointed at the ceiling, threw it to him, and she said, I don't like that word. I hate that word submit. I guess all of us do, whether you're man or woman. It's not a fun thing really to do, but that's what makes a successful mama, and it's what makes a successful wife. And it's what makes a successful believer in Christ when all of us submit to God and to His will. So women, ladies, this ain't just you having to submit to the authority of your husband. This is also children submitting to their parents, to their guardians. This is also men submitting to the will of God. So what makes an outstanding mama? Well, all of us most likely here would say, well, you just look at my mama. You'll find an outstanding mama. Well, I think we can look at three things this morning as we're gathered here to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I believe we can find three things that can really mark a mama who is an outstanding mama and doing what she does. First of all, number one, she must have a personal relationship with God. There's no bones about it. If this woman is going to be an outstanding mama, we need to find in her life an outstanding, I mean, a a personal relationship with the good Lord. Paul the Apostle told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 5, he said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also... You know, that's something that Paul told Timothy, the reason he was a believer. I mean, this was a young man who was, who was a preacher, a pastor of a church. He said, the reason you stand there today in your faith is because you learned that faith at the feet of your mama, and, you, and, and she in turn learned that faith at the feet of her mama, and likewise you did as well. So Lois, as grandma, taught little Tim some things he needed to learn. And Lois and Eunice both, as grandma and mama, they both of them instilled that faith inside of young Timothy's heart and inside of his life. And I'm sure if you look back in your life, you can see times where your mama took you to church. She took you to vacation Bible school. She took you to Sunday school. She hopefully even at home drew you aside and told you Bible stories and told you the old, old story about how a Savior came from glory and went to that cross on Calvary and died for our sins. I am a believer in Jesus Christ today specifically because my mama and I stayed up late one night on July 1st when I was nine years old in 1991 and she led me to the Lord. I knew about Jesus. Mom and Daddy both made sure I knew about Jesus. They took me to the church when I was a child and I was in church. And so I knew who Jesus was. But I had the head knowledge. It didn't turn into a heart knowledge until that night I knelt beside an old brown furnace that smelled of burnt crayons every time Daddy turned it on in the fall. And I prayed right then and right there on a little square of linoleum right there across from Mom and Daddy's bedroom. I prayed right there, led by my mama, to ask Jesus into my heart and life. And I have my faith today because I was led to that, to the fountain of living water by my dear precious mama. Now, one of the mamas we know about and read about inside the Bible is none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus Christ. And you know, our text verse this morning was out of Luke 138. Now, normally, we don't really read this unless one of two things is happening. One, you come across this in your daily Bible reading, or two, we get there around Christmas time. But I want you to notice something about Mary here. Look back up in verse 31. Normally I bring this out around Christmas time, but I want to bring it again to your attention this morning. Of course, we have Gabriel here. We notice that back in verse 26. the, The angel is identified as Gabriel. And Gabriel is speaking to Mary here, and, and this young woman, he, he, her, her mind is just being blown. First of all, she's scared. Almost every person that sees an angel in the Bible, they're scared. And sometimes the first words out of that angel's mouth is going to be, fear not. Don't be afraid. All right? So no, and, and I guess I would be too if I looked and all of a sudden there's a 
glowing man standing in my bedroom or, or inside the room or, <laughs> or in the sky above, and there's a bunch of them there, I think I'd be a little scared too. But uh, Gabriel calmed her. He said, you know, you have nothing to be afraid of. Don't worry. He said, I've come here to you from God to deliver a special message to you. And look what he said. He said in verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Amen. Now, I want you to notice something right here. That a lot of times in our haste to read through the Bible, in our goings on and, and trying to just get this checked off of our page, we, what I call, we McDonaldize our Bible reading. We, we make it into fast food. You know, fast food will, will give you something to keep you going, but fast food ain't the best food out there for you. It's actually some of the worst food you can eat. And a lot of times, in my understanding, I'll stand over here because it's my opinion, I believe I, that's one of the bad things we can do to ourselves. It's great that you're reading the Bible, but if you read to just read and say you've read it, and you're not really trying to sink your teeth into it, study it to understand what it is you've actually read, I think it's a detriment to it. I mean, you'll get something out of it, but you're not going to get as much out of it, you know, as if you were to go to a nice sit-down meal and eat it bite by bite moment by, and savor the flavor and all of those different things. So notice here when Gabriel tells Mary, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Notice the wording shout. Shout, S-H-A-L-T, is the form of a future understanding. You shout, thou shalt. That, if we were to put that in modern wording, he would be saying something to the effect of, uh, and behold, you shall. So when we think of shout, think of shall. So you shall, thou shalt, is future tense, Okay. So that means this is going to happen sometime in the future. All right, so then he describes Jesus in verse 32 and 33. He talked about Jesus is going to be a, a king and his kingdom will be everlasting. And then Mary is just kind of dumbfounded by all this And down in verse 34. Uh, she says, how is that supposed to happen? I, I don't, I've never known a man. Uh, I, I don't understand this. And then without skipping a beat, Gabriel explains how this is going to happen. He says the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. And he starts talking about that in verse 35. All right, now then look at verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Elizabeth is a cousin of Mary's. And Elizabeth is six months pregnant. But wait a minute. Did you catch that? See, a lot of people think, well, I don't understand the Bible as much. I need to go get theological training, or I need to learn Greek or Hebrew. No, no, you don't have to learn all of that, per se, necessarily. Really, what you need to really center on is really learning the English language a little bit better. That's all we got to do. Notice you here in verse 36, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived. All right, now right there, when he says, hath also conceived. When you have something also done, that means that whatever that person did, if they have also done that, for example, let's see. Um, nobody else is wearing one. Okay. Uh, all right. I look at Jerry up here, and I see he's wearing pants. Well, I'm wearing pants. All right. So Jerry has also worn pants. So when I say that, what does that imply? That implies that I wore pants, Jerry also has worn pants, you see? So if something is also done, then that means you're in that same boat too. So when, right there, when Gabriel tells Mary about her cousin who hath also conceived, conceived ends with E-D. What does that refer to in English? That goes back to past tense. So shout is shall, you shall conceive. That's future tense. And then he turns around in verse 36, and he says, Elizabeth hath also conceived. 
What does that mean? That means within verse 32, 33, 34, 35, in those few little verses, Mary got pregnant. And she's pregnant right then and right there with Jesus Christ. Why? Because what he said, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. Well, while he was talking, guess what? The Holy Ghost came by and overshadowed her. And she's pregnant now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Ain't that something? Right there. Just while you're reading right there, boom, 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 bam. Elizabeth has also conceived. If she has also conceived, that means Mary has conceived. So she's pregnant with the Lord Jesus. By and by, Mary will eventually give birth in Luke chapter 2 to the humanity of Jesus Christ. He will be born, most likely, based upon study of this scripture and others, he will be born around late September, about the year 4 B.C. That's when he's born. So if you want to learn more about, well, why do we do December 25th as his birthday? Well, we'll have to look at that when we get down towards Christmas time. But going back to this understanding about a personal relationship with God and Mama having a personal relationship with God, look at verse 30 here in Luke chapter 1. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. You know, when I look at that, I find that Mary was a person of spiritual integrity. That means that she found favor with God. Look, you don't find favor with God if you're out here living in sin. You don't find favor with God by saying, Well, you know, I think I'll live for God on this Sunday, and then the rest of the week I'll live for myself, for sin, and for the world. You don't do that. You find favor with God when you're living for God, when you're doing what God wants you to do. And so I find right there that Mary was a young woman who put God first in her life. She had spiritual integrity. Mary was also a person who enjoyed the presence of God. Drop down to verse 46 here. It says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And then she says in verse 37, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You know, folks, there's some folks this morning, there's some people this morning, they don't want to be in church. Why? Because the same reason why a cockroach don't want to be in the light. The cockroach don't like the light, it likes the darkness. Well, there's some people that like the darkness to hide their sin. You know, that's why so much evil and wickedness happens in the middle of the night. It's because people don't want to be caught, people don't want to be found out. And if you're letting the light of Jesus shine inside of your life and you get around somebody that ain't right with God, they're not living for God, you know what? You're going to make them very uncomfortable. And she was also, I find as well, Mary was a woman hungry for God. If she had found favor with God, if she enjoyed the presence of God, then let's put it inside of a nutshell. She couldn't get enough of God. She loved to go to the synagogue every time the doors were open. She could only stand on the outside, but that lattice was there, and she could look through, and she could see that man reading, and she could hear them reading out of the scroll of the word of the living God. But you know what, folks? Sadly, today, there's a lot of men, there's a lot of women out there today that are more hungry for money. They're more hungry for prestige. They're more hungry uh, for jewelry. They're more hungry for clothes. They're more hungry for shoes. They're more hungry for possession than they are hungry for God. You know, the Bible warns us about such people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The Bible warns us about people who will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Folks, we are chock full of them today out inside of this country. And you want to know why so many children are not being raised right? It's because too many of their mamas are not having a personal relationship with God. Too many of their mamas are too wound up inside of the things and thrills of this world. You know, it is not right for a woman, in my understanding, for her to get pregnant. And then when she carries that baby to term and she has that baby, she immediately turns around and puts that baby in mom and daddy, her mom and daddy's arm, and then she goes out and parties with all her friends. No. If you're able to get pregnant, then guess what, honey child? It's time for you to buck up and you grow up and you, you settle down and you become a mama and start giving up your life because you got pregnant. This is your child. This is your responsibility. Don't pawn it off on mom and daddy to raise. They done did their tour duty, huh? Amen! That's right! 
They done done their tour duty, but there's too many of them out there today that are having to go through, having become grandparents, now they're having to knuckle down and raise their grandchildren. I know sometimes it's inevitable. Sometimes it's not a, a wonderful situation to be in. But there are many cases and many times where these women are just going out and sowing their wild oats and they will not calm down and settle down to raise their own children. Folks, it's a sad tragedy. But for an outstanding mama, in my understanding, I think by the principles of the Word of God, for her to be an outstanding mother, she must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, she must have a proper relationship with her family. We find that when Mary was pregnant, what did she do? She followed her husband. How do we know that? In Luke uh, chapter 2, we find that uh, when the decree went out from Caesar Augustus, we find in verse 5, uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. We find right there that Joseph said, Honey, we got to go. You know, she could have pitched a fit. She could have whined. She could have complained. She should have put her foot down and said, I'm not going. I'm pregnant. You expect me to get on this donkey or this camel or this beast of burden? And you expect me to go out and travel all this long? Who are you? Are you crazy, man? No. Her husband said, we're going. She said, yes, dear. So she followed the leadership of her husband. The Bible is explicit and teaches that the, that the wife is to submit to the authority of her husband. Now, if the husband is out of bounds with God, if he's not saying and doing things that are godly and proper, then if he's telling his wife to sin or do something wicked, then, of course, she's not supposed to obey her husband in that regard. But if he is leading that woman and that family in the right way, in God's way, absolutely she's supposed to obey her husband. And that's one thing nowadays that is not popular. It's one of these things out there that people don't like to hear. But you know what? That is still God's word. That is still God's way. And that is still the message of the old book. If you don't like it, then you ain't got a beef with me. You need to take it up with God because he's the author. I'm just the messenger. You want to have a good life? Then husbands, you need to be a man of God and put your foot down in the things of God. You want to have a good wife and woman? You want to have a good husband? Make sure that man is a God-fearing, godly man and you make sure you follow the commandments of God and follow the leadership of your godly husband. Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. Don't get quiet on me out there. Mary told her children, yes, her children. No, she did get pregnant later with, with Joseph, and they had children, not cousins. These are Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. And we find here in Luke 2, 51 and 52, but he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject. This is Jesus. He was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That had to have been one of the weirdest things for Joseph and Mary to go through. Knowing who Jesus is. Now, we know Jesus never sinned, so Joseph and Mary never had to discipline Jesus because he didn't ever do anything wrong. Now, they seemed to get on to him when he was 12 because when the whole caravan left, Jesus wasn't there. And the three days after they journeyed along, they said, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. No, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with your aunt. I thought he was over there. Ah, where's Jesus? We've lost him. Where's he at? I don't know. Well, we've got to turn back. So they had to turn back and go back to Jerusalem, and they began searching high and low, and they couldn't find Jesus. Finally, they went over to the temple, and there they found Jesus, 12 years old, inside the temple, teaching the doctors of the law. Now, Mary got upset with him. Why did you do this? You know. <laughs> and Jesus says, didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? Now, there was a preacher years ago that said, well, I suppose that was a sin. No, preacher, that's not a sin. Because Jesus never sinned in any way, shape, or form. If he did, he wouldn't be God. He never sinned. 
So we understand in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, you cannot stick that child in front of the TV and expect SpongeBob and expect Sesame Street and expect the Cartoon Network to raise your children. There's a lot of them that do. There's a lot of times parents want a break. They want peace of mind. And so they stick youngins in front of the TV. Or they send them off to preschool. Nothing wrong with preschool. But I'd be looking, if it were me, I'd be looking to see what they teach at that preschool. That's one reason why my mama stayed home the first five years of my life. Why? Because the character of a child is formed in the first five years of, of their life. You may think little baby in the crib ain't paying attention. No, they're paying attention. They're listening. Do you realize even inside of the womb that a child, that in the womb, a child will reject or enjoy certain foods? That even inside the womb, a child will suck his thumb. That even inside of the womb, a child already has a personality. So don't wait till they're five or six and say, well, we'll start doing something with them now. No, you've already been doing something with them while they are knee out of a grasshopper and even younger. You say, how do you know, preacher? You never had children. I may not have ever had children here that live, but I know what this book says. And I've read certain things a little bit about raising children and different things because I've had to help out with Rahab before. So I understand, folks, that this Bible will never steer us wrong. That if this Bible says that a child left to himself will bring shame upon his parents, that Bible's true. Now, if you just leave that child alone, oh, we don't need to put them in a box of parameters. Just let them know. You... (laughs) These people out there thinking, well, the child is not old enough to decide what gender they want. Are you kidding me? You take simple DNA, it will tell you what gender that child is, but I don't have to get a DNA sample or test either. I've got a little bit of inkling of a little bit of knowledge upstairs in this old little preacher man's head that I understand one thing, that if you got outdoor plumbing, you're a boy. If you got indoor plumbing, you're a girl. That's easy. Simple. And how is it that they're going to let a five-year-old determine if they want to be a boy or a girl? Folks, that brain ain't fully got into gear yet. There's some 18-year-olds whose brains ain't fully got into gear. Amen, preacher. That's right. And you're wanting them to decide whether they want to wear a dress or not? That's plum loco crazy, you ask me. Folks, A woman who is going to be an outstanding mama, they've got to have a proper relationship with their family. I know many times you look at that sweet young and you want to be their friend. Well, guess what? You can be their friend, but you've got to be their parent. You've got to lay the law down. It it destroyed many times my mama and my daddy's heart to have to whoop me. Yes, whoop me. And I deserved every whooping I got. Praise God. If your children won't honor and obey you whom they can see, why do you think remotely that they will honor and obey God who they cannot see? Mary was faithful to her children. When Jesus was on the cross, John 19, 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. But you know, when a mama does this, this is one reason why Mother's Day is so special. Because this is the day everybody in the family is supposed to wait on mama hand and foot. But you know what? All the other days of the year, mama usually is the first one up and the last to bed. Mama's the one out there doing all these things, packing the lunch, laying out the husband's clothes, ironing the clothes. Do we still do that anymore? Anyway, cleaning up the house, doing all these things, making sure the schedules are kept. Why? Because a mother worth her salt, an outstanding mother, has a proper relationship with her family. She is the glue that holds that family together. She is the one that keeps the clock ticking on the time. And what happens? Her dreams, her desires, her wants largely have done what? Been gone, tossed out the window. Because she's had to submit to her husband and she's had to give of herself to invest in her children. 
You see, I'm not going to get to that yet. If I do, mm, I'll hold on to that here in just a second. But that's why the idea of selfishness and this me generation has has been destroying motherhood and the family inside of our country. And looking at all that, that brings us into point three. She must have, in order to be an outstanding mama, she needs to not only have a personal relationship with God, she not only needs to have a proper relationship with her family, but she must have a principled relationship with her sacrifice. What did Mary say in chapter 1, verse 38? Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid. You know what handmaid means? Handmaid means servant. She said, Behold the servant of the Lord. She said, Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. In other words, she said, Whatever God wants from me, let it be. I will be his servant. That's the life of a mama. A servant. I mean, the Bible says here this. In Titus 2.5, It says that the woman is supposed to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband. Why? It says that the word of God be not blasphemed. So one of the things I see when it says keeper at home, she needs to be a decorator of her her home. Now, preacher, are you saying I need to quit my job? I didn't say that. Now, there's some preachers out there that will say that. But I want you to understand what keeper at home means. For many, many years, a lot of people think keeper at home means, well, you just cook and clean and keep the house up. That's part of that. But to be a keeper means you are to be a guardian. A guardian of your home. Anybody can go live in a house, but I will say this. It is the touch of a woman that will make that house into a home. We men will make it spartan. We will make it manly. The woman will come in and put the curtains up. Put the little frilly things here and there. Put the doilies. I know in some cases that's called doily. Doily. They'll put the doilies out. You say, what's a doily? Just go ask the woman. She knows what it is. It's it's the little lacy frilly thing. So the woman will make that house a home. Now, to make that house a home, that means the house needs to be clean. Many mamas down to the year taught their daughters how to sweep, how to mop, how to vacuum, how to dust, how to fold clothes, how to wash clothes, how to wash the dishes, how to cook, how to do all those things. Why? Because it was expected of a woman to do that. And you know what? According to the Bible, that's still part of a woman's makeup, the way she is, the way she's designed. Now, does that mean that only the woman is to do that? No, ladies, that means men can do it as well. But the woman, if she wants to wear pants and wants to go climb the corporate ladder, here's the thing. She can do whatever she wants. She can be, she can become a CEO of a company. But she better put that home first. She better not sacrifice her family just so she can make the mega bucks. She still needs to remember her husband. She still needs to remember her children. Have a job all you want to, but make sure you're still a keeper at home. And I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to burn yourself out. Because you're going to want to advance. You're going to want the promotions. You're going to want the prestige at your job. But if you do that, then your husband's going to suffer. Your children are going to suffer. And your home is not going to be a home anymore. Because you'll be keeping that more than you will what's important. If you were to quit your job tomorrow, you know what? By the end of the week, most likely, they're going to have somebody to replace you. If you are to die in your home, no one can replace mama. I believe that's more important if you ask me. She needs to be devoted to her husband. Titus 2.4 says that they may teach the young women to be sober. You better lay off them drugs and quit them. You better go smash that bottle of whiskey and booze and throw it away. You don't need to be high, especially if you have children. That's one thing that rattles my brain. 
Why and how in the name of God and all that is sacred and holy, why would a woman take to the bottle and put that in front of her own children? Why would she want painkillers and drugs and dope and all this and weed and all these other things? Why in the world on earth would she want any of that and sacrifice the well-being of her children? But yet they're out there. Teach the women, the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Wait a minute. What did I say? That means to the aged women, they are to teach the young women to love their husbands? You mean to tell me that women need to be taught how to love their husbands? Yeah. How to love their... I thought that come naturally to a woman. Well, many times it will. Because this child has come out of her own loins. And she should love her children. But there's much a young mother needs to learn. She needs to be devoted to her husband. She needs to be depriving of her tongue. In James 3, 6, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and set it on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. In Psalm 39, 1, it says, I said I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Women have notoriously been accused and said about many, many years down the road in history that they know how to gossip and they know how to talk. Well, ladies, guess what? So do we men. But it's something when you get a group of women together, suddenly... Many times, not all the time, but many times, the subject will turn to the husband. And then suddenly they'll take turns running their husband down, throwing them under the bus. You get around your girlfriends and such out there, never let it once be said that you're going to throw your husband under the bus. May you be the one who will honor and respect and support your husband. It's a favorite pastime. Get on the phone, get on Facebook, get on Messenger and gossip about this, that, and the third. I say come lay that ten-foot-long tongue down on the altar and give it to God and bridle that tongue. Whether you're a man or a woman, I don't care who we are, it's high time we start using that mouth to praise and glorify God. A mama or a woman that would swear around their children... Oh, nowadays they they hear little Johnny and little Susie say cuss words and the F-bomb and take God's name in vain. And the parents sit back and laugh and ha-ha and think it's so cute and funny. I think it's abominable. I think it's wretched. I think it's evil and plumb out of the pit of hell. I think all them little mouths need to be washed out with a a heap of palm olive soap. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That'll break them. If it don't break them, give them another dose. If it don't break them, give them another dose. Sooner or later, they'll get the image. If they don't, they'll probably die of soap poisoning <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> I knew one thing as far as I, I said, I ain't never going to stick my thumb out and back at my mama ever again, and I never did do it. Folks, we got to bottle that tongue. we got to deprive that tongue. That tongue loves to just shoot off things. That means that when you're arguing with your husband, that means you need to watch your tongue, just like he does. There is no reason under the sun why anyone, anyone, needs to hurl curse words or take God's name in vain at their spouse, let alone their children. That is never justified. Amen. I don't care how mad you are. Oh, I can't, I can't help it. The Bible just said no man can change his tongue. Well, guess what? I know somebody who can. I know a mama who can. <laughs> but I also know someone who can change the tongue, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? Because the Bible says, regardless of what you and I say, the Bible says, and I believe that far more than I do you or me, the Bible says all things are possible with God. You say, God, I can't control my mouth. Guess what? God can help you. But you've got to be willing. Listen to him. Mama told me many times, get the peanut butter out of my ears. Get the peanut butter out of your spiritual ears. You need to be dis- Mama needs to be disciplining of her children. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You better believe that. Oh, but DSS, well, fine. Let DSS do whatever they want to. You know why? 
Because your character and your reputation should speak all about you. Let me tell you something. A good friend of mine had the DSS called about a month and a half ago. This young man is a preacher, and his family, he has a wonderful family. The child and the sibling were in their roughhousing in the house. Mama called out, stop it, they didn't. Daddy then called out, stop, and they didn't. He then ordered the children to come to the living room. As the children were, they took off. As the boy rounded the corner, he slipped and fell and banged his head against the wall. When finally the children were front and center, he said, your mama told you to listen, you didn't do it. I told you to do it, and you didn't do it. So he said, bend over, pow, 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 pow. Delivered discipline, sat him down, everything was fine. Check the knothead, the pump noggin on the head, and uh, everything was okay. The next day, little boy goes to school. Teacher looks at the pump knot and says, where'd that come from? Oh, that came when I got whooped by daddy. Boom! Phone call was made by the teacher or someone. Next thing he knows, I get a phone call saying, brother, pray for me. The DSS has been called to my house. Can I use you as a character reference? Absolutely. I was never called that I know of. But they investigated that family three times. And finally, about two weeks ago, the investigation was dropped. Why? Because their reputation spoke about them. And when the little boy was quizzed about it, he said, I slipped and fell because I was running with socks on disobeying my parents, and it was my fault that it happened. Daddy didn't do that to me when he whooped me. You see? You see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to just give us the threat. You see, that's why so many teachers today will not teach creation, because you have the threat of a lawsuit. That's what the liberals out here are trying to do with the Supreme Court. They're trying to threaten them so they won't overturn Roe v. Wade. Folks, do you want your children to grow up? Now, wait a minute. Think about this. What did it say? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. You know what foolishness leads to? Foolishness ain't just acting up and being stupid or silly. When you get to the ultimate of foolishness, what does it say twice inside the Bible? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You want your children to grow up and be saved? You better apply some discipline in their lives. I see that right there screaming at me inside of the Word of God. So why is it that so many children today are growing up and leaving the faith? Well, most likely part of it is because most of them are not being disciplined at all. She's got to be dependent on her Lord. In Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. David, if you'll come. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song will I praise him. The Lord is whom she needs to lean back on. You know, the Bible tells us something very important. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. I think that's the, the verse that every mama needs to claim. Be ye not weary in well-doing. Because you know what? It gets old and it gets tiring so many times of serving so many people. You serve on your job, you serve your husband, you serve your children... And what a blessing it is for you to be served. So don't be weary in well-doing. I'm sure many times, I'm sure, very sure many times, my mama got exasperated with me. She said another time, she, after she had whooped me for the 500th time, probably in one day, she looked up at the ceiling and said, Lord, what am I doing wrong? You know what? She wasn't doing anything wrong. It's this stubborn head that had to be cracked and broke. It's this willpower of a strong-willed child that had to be broke 
and not left to my own devices and understand that lying is wrong and that you can't get your way all the time and that you have to share even when you're an only child. And there's some words and things you don't do and you don't say. There's some places you don't go because if you do, you will be punished and you will be disciplined. I hope and pray that I can stand before my God and before this people and before any group of people that I ever stand in front of and I can say that I am the man I am today because my mama and my daddy sacrificed, loved me, wore my butt out, and they kept me on the right path of Jesus Christ. That's why I am who I am today. I don't know it to the school. I don't know it to the community. I definitely don't know it to the satanic government. I owe it to my parents who sacrificed and poured their lives into me to make me who I am today. And I'll tell you one thing. This women's liberation feminist movement out there today, it is straight out of the pit of hell. You just listen. You say, preacher, you don't know. I'm, no, 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 I do know. I've listened to their leaders and I've heard what they say and I've heard what they believe. They are not Christian. They don't believe this Bible. Anything and everything I have preached about today and even taught out of the Word of God they would condemn it all and they would say it's, it's oppressive and it's uh, chauvinistic and all these other things. Folks, this is what... Let me, let me tell you something. You want to know where women are being abused and treated every day? Go over to the religions and to the faiths that are not Christian. Go talk to some Muslims. A Muslim, if his wife makes eggs the wrong way and he don't like them, he can beat her. And there's no Muslim preacher, imam, or cleric that will say boo about it. They can divorce their wives if they look at this hot chick over there and think she's better. Uh, he can say, I don't want you no more. And then the priest, uh, the, priest the, uh, the, the Muslim cleric will permit the divorce just by a whim of what he says. No, I'll tell you this. Everywhere this Bible has been preached and believed, and everywhere Christianity has been, it has elevated the woman to motherhood. My 10th great-grandma, most of you know by the name she hated. Her name was Pocahontas. You ever heard of Pocahontas before? The Indian? Well, guess what? When she sat for her portrait hanging in England. The artist was going to write her name. And he said, how shall I write your name? She said, my Christian name is Rebecca. That is how you will write my name. But I thought your name Pocahontas. No, she said firmly. Do not refer to me that way. But ma'am, why not? She said, because that means... Um, You can use your imagination, but uh, it refers to wild female who flatches and has uh, improper sexual relations with other men. That's what Pocahontas means. And that's what she was. That's what she did. She was a wild woman that ran around doing whatever she wanted to. But when she got saved and she got married, God forgave her of that past. But yet that's what everybody knew her as, Pocahontas, not as Rebecca. You know, sadly that's what the devil and some do today. The wild women sowed their wild oats in the past, but they got born again and saved, and God says he forgot all about that. Yeah. You know what? If God did, so should we. And if you sit here this morning or somebody's listening and you say, Preacher, but I'm one of the ones that had an abortion. Let me tell you something. God will forgive even of that. And your baby is safe and sound in the halls of heaven today. If God forgave you of that, guess what? You need to forgive yourself. In closing, I'd like to share with you a poem called The Little Ones Who Follow Me. A careful mother I ought to be, 
little ones are following me. I do not dare to go astray for fear they'll go the self-same way. I cannot want to escape their eyes. Whatever they see me do, they try. Like me, they say they're going to be those little ones who follow me. They think that I am good and fine. Believe in every word of mine. The base in me they must not see. The little ones who follow me. I must remember as I go, through summer's sun and winter's snow, I am building for the years to be those little ones who follow me. May all of us remember that what our young ones and our children see in us, they will largely copy, they will largely pattern in their lives, their words, their deeds and actions. What a blessing it is to see moms and dads and husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and everyone go to the house of the Lord and bring their families with them. But maybe you're here this morning and you look back and you see that you have a child that's not where they should be. Then for heaven's sake, Daddy, for heaven's sake, Mama, don't stop praying and loving that child. There is still something you still need to hold on to, and that's called hope. Hope. We will help you pray for them. Because not until this life is over is all hope lost. But if anybody should keep on praying. It's a God-fearing mama, a God-fearing grandma, a God-fearing woman. Never stop praying for our children. They need it now, guys, more than ever. And your prayers may be at last the one, maybe years after you've gone passed on to glory, that finally that prayer will be at last answered. In that dead of night, I remember reading about a young man who had a pistol and he laid it on the hotel bed and he was ready to end it all. But his mama had been dead for over 10 years and he had his little backpack with him and he kept a little Bible that his mama gave him when he was young, one of the things he kept. He didn't read it, he didn't believe in it, but that one night... He was in that hotel. He reached in, dumped all of his stuff out of his book bag, and there that Bible clattered onto the floor, and a slip of paper slipped out of it. It was a little letter that his mama wrote to him a week before she died. Ten years ago. He pulled it open and read it. And that mama on her deathbed told her son, Son, whenever you read this, I want you to know that even though I may be gone by that time, I still love you, and I'm praying for you to find your way home. Your daddy loves you, and we always will. He packed that book bag back. He left that gun inside the room, and he went back home to where his daddy had kicked him out years ago. And he went back home to his dad, and he said, I'm sorry for what I've done. And how I've acted. He said, my mama told me that you loved me. And she loved me. And she prayed. And so I've come now to the only place I have left to go. Because if I couldn't come here, death only awaited me. I'm wondering, Daddy, do you still love me? And before he could even finish, his daddy hugged him. And he said, of course, son, I've never stopped loving you. I just couldn't support your ways and what you were doing. But I've always loved you. And that night on that front porch, that boy got right with God. And when I read the end of that story, he left all his drugs. He left all that wild living. That mama in heaven finally got her prayer answered. And that daddy living got his prayer answered. That son came home. So you may think you've wasted your time. You may think that it's all it's too far gone. But I tell you, God's awfully good at saving in the nick of time. Oh, 
He's awfully good at giving second, third, three thousand, three million chances. You are not too far gone. The prodigal came back home. Folks, it's time for us to come back home. And you, if that's you, you've been out, all out in that world, remember, you've not sinned too much and you've not gone so far that God won't take you back and say, here you are, my child. Your place is here. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, this morning, God may be speaking to your heart. Your heart may be full this morning right now thinking of your child. That may be a wayward child. Maybe a child that's already been promoted on to glory. Maybe you're thinking about your dear sweet mama and how as quick as you get out of here, it's time to call mama. Or maybe it's time to go visit mama, whatever it may be. The main thing I want you to think about this morning that if you're not saved and you're here this morning and you're lost, you can come to know Jesus this morning beyond a shadow of a doubt. Know him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and, it's, and you've got some burdens on your heart you need to pray about. Maybe you've got family you need to pray for. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, you know, I've been coming for a while or I've been searching for a while and I think this is the church that I need to join by statement or by letter or by baptism. Whatever it may be, as David plays and I turn off the uh, microphone and the camera, just have a little talk with Jesus.